Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who will respectfully decline to watch the Amazon version of Cinderella starring Camilla Cabello. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2004's Saved. Is it possible Jesus might need us to do his will by, you know, not waiting? I'm concerned about Mary, and I think that you can help her. You mean like shoot her? No, no, I was thinking of something a little less gangster. You are backsliding into the flames of hell. Oh, oh, Hi, Audrey. How are you today? Hi. Okay, well, I just want to address, we just came up with that thing about Cinderella just now. <laughs> we did. We did. And um, I just watched the trailer before recording this, and I I truly don't think it's a creative take to join the hate bandwagon on Camila Cabello. It's not about that. It's not me being hateful for no reason. It is about the... It kind of relates to what we were saying with the Enchanted episode, like, we don't have to make Cinderella a business owner. <laughs> yes. Wait, is she a business owner in the trailer? I haven't yeah. seen it yet. It's like Dresses by Ella. <laughs> Wait, but how can she be a business owner and be like a put-upon scullery maid? No, like, seriously, it's like Adina Menzel being like... Wait, being Adina like, Menzel is in this? Yeah. Oh, no. No, okay. they got they got all the right people. They got all the right people, except I do think Camilla is miscast. I think they cast Billy Porter as the fairy god person. <laughs> um... Okay, I digress. I'm just saying it's not a hate train, and if you like it, good for you. Okay. Well, we will respectfully <laughs> decline. <clearly>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, we have another disclaimer. <laughs> well, two more, sort of. The first one is we are both in very different locations today than normal. Um, I'm also using a handheld mic for the video users. So users, the video viewers. So <laughs> I feel like I am a game show host in a good way, which is exciting. It's energizing. Um, and I'm also in my office. I have a little office space that I like do a bunch of my work in and I normally never record here because I thought it wouldn't be good, but it actually seems kind of great. So we'll see what happens. But for video viewers, I'm moving the tripod. Well, I tried to move the tripod. It didn't really work, but it's a pretty place. Audrey, where are you? So I moved apartments in New York. I now am a um, <clears throat> resident of Williamsburg. She's a Williamsburg um, bitch now. Yeah, and but the funny thing is that this probably just looks the same because it, it literally looks the same as my old room, except there's no lights and it's flipped. Like the brick wall used to be over here and now it's over mm -hmm. here. 
It looks very good, but, though. Yeah. I like how the butterflies and the sound of music really are the center of the of the image here. Yeah, for you, they are. For the for my phone, it's, like, kind of blocked, but, yeah. Oh, well, bummer. I'll figure it out. We'll g- I'll get the set together. Yes. <laughs> this thing, I could have a permanent set here, which would be cool. Yeah, you should. Anyway, shall we get into the facts surrounding... No, we shouldn't. There's one more thing to say. Did you sign up for the Sleepover Cinema Trivia? Some of you did. In fact, I finally figured out how to see the registrants on Zoom today. So applause for me. And you should sign up. We have a good amount of people signed up. It's going to be really, really fun. It's movie and music trivia from the early 2000s. uh, Sleepover Cinema Trivia that is being led by us and Darren Christie of Under the Tree with DXC, our baby. And we would love to meet you. So you should sign up. It's August 13th. Sorry, it's Friday, August 13th, which when you're listening to this episode, that means it's tomorrow. So go to our Instagram bio right now and sign up. It's not too late. And I was just going to say, like, this is the last time you're going to hear us berate you about this. So yes, unless it goes so well that we do another one. Which Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it's time to get to the content here. So. I cannot express how liberating it is to have this microphone. I feel like uh, I was texting Audrey earlier and I feel like the Trixie and Katya podcast. Like I feel like them saved first was seen by public eyes on January 21st, 2004 and received a limited release on May 28th, 2004. So just a few months later. And, um, this is kind of jumping the gun slightly, but I thought it was interesting. This movie falls into the category of being a sleeper hit based off of what they earned on the opening weekend, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but they ended up making $10 million worldwide on this movie on a $5 million budget. So pretty good. This movie was directed by Brian Danley, who uh, heavily based this movie off his life experience, having gone to a Baptist Christian high school as an in-the-closet gay boy. And in interviews and everywhere that I saw in my research for this movie, he said that everything in the film was something experienced or researched, and he tried his darndest, darndest to make nothing up. So all from life experience, which is interesting. Um, He ultimately went on to become a regular, like a series regular director on Weeds, which that is a theme in this show. A lot of the actors are later on Weeds. A lot of the writers are later on Weeds. Uh, Weirdly, this comes up a lot. And obviously Mary Louise Parker is the mom in this movie and she's like the main person in Weeds. Uh, But anyway, Brian also directed some of Haters Back Off, which I thought was really (laughs) funny. And he produced and wrote In the Dark, which was a show that he had like a ton of episodes of. So that's also good to know. It was co-written by Brian Danley and Michael Urban. And Michael didn't really have many other credits to speak of. So he gets his flowers for this movie and then we're moving on. The producers were Michael Ohavin, Sandy Stern, William Vince, and Michael Stipe. Weirdly, Michael Stipe. Um, but the first two guys, they're, they kind of seem like they're a producing duo. A lot of their credits overlapped, which was Michael and William. And some of the movies that they worked on were Capote, The Cave, Push, Frailty, Insomnia, and literally a million things I don't recognize. I did not recognize a single movie they'd worked on except for Capote. All these movies were like very like 2005-ish like 
action-ish seeming very much not my interest area. That was the vibe that I got. Um, and then Sandy Stern was a producer on Being John Malkovich, Pump Up the Volume, and Velvet Goldmine in collaboration with Michael Stipe, who is inexplicably the front man of the band <laughs> R.E.M. Because <laughs> I was like, why is Michael Stipe ring a bell? And it's because he is a front man of R.E.M. He was also a producer on Being John Malkovich, and he has done a lot of like soundtrack stuff for other movies. And he also was a producer for a lot of indie movies, especially in the early 2000s. So that's cool. That's a cool hobby of Michael Stipe's. Thank you, Michael Stipe. Um, but this plot synopsis, Audrey, the first one is really, it really understates some things. And then the second one is a bit better. So would you care to read them? All right. So we've got a bad one and a better one. Yes. So here's the first one. When a girl attending a Christian high school becomes pregnant, all of her former friends turn on her and she is ostracized and demonized. <laughs> ah, that's not even what it's about. It's not and here's wrong, the second, but yeah, go ahead. It's not right. It's not yes, right. It's not right. Um, the second one is Mary is a devout girl at a Christian high school dating Dean, but her perfect world begins to fall apart when Dean reveals that he's gay. She receives a vision from Jesus and tries everything she can to help Dean, including offering her virginity. Unfortunately, Dean is sent to a treatment center to cure him and Mary discovers she's pregnant. When her friends turn on her, she finds solace with school misfits Roland and Cassandra. Yes. And you know what's next. Okay. The second tagline is got passion, get saved, which is also pretty good. And the third one is lead us not into temptation. Also good. Very good. There's a lot of good Jesus jokes in this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like teen, religious, campy. Like, it's got a lot of like good stuff. Yes. There's also like a really, speaking of taglines, this movie has like a really iconic poster. It has like five characters and they put Mandy Moore in the middle because they knew that Mandy Moore was going to be the moneymaker, but she's not the main character. And she has like the devil horns drawn onto her, I think. And she's like praying hands. And then there's Jenna Malone off to the side. And well, she's the angel. No, I thought the the whole point is that she wasn't the angel. Well, let me check. I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure she's the angel on the cover. Yeah, she is. And the pregnant girl has the devil horns. Oh, okay. Strike what I said from the record. I am just a fool. I guess the (laughs) graffiti on the poster is from the point of view of Mandy Moore, not from the point of view of Mary. (laughs) There we go. Just, just go, just, just accept that reach for me in this moment. So, okay. Are we ready to talk about the cast? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, we have Jenna Malone as Mary. And Jenna is primarily known as having played Joanna in the Hunger Games, which I feel like this is controversial, but I've somehow never seen a Hunger Games movie. Like, I know. <laughs> like I dodged it somehow. What? I don't know how. Wait, Hannah, I think I think a marathon is in order. Okay. I'm down. Honestly, That's insane. I, I know. And I feel, I don't really know how. Like, I feel like I've seen scenes from the first one, but I've never really seen them, like, in a real way. Um, But yeah, 
Anyway, so she's Jeez. Joanna in the Hunger Games, <laughs> and I felt like uh, felt like the audience would enjoy that, despite the fact that I don't know what that means. Uh, she was Ruby in the Neon Demon. I don't know what that is. She was also in Goliath. I don't know what that is, but I do know <laughs> that she <laughs> was Lydia Bennett in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice movie. And I have things to say about that movie, but I'll get back to it later. And she's been booked and blessed forever. I just don't watch enough things to know what the fuck she's in. But do you know what those are? Yeah, I I've kn- I know what all those things are. Yes, but I have not seen everything. <laughs> Congratulations on your knowledge of media. <laughs> I do not have it. <laughs> okay, and then next up we have Mandy Moore as Hillary Faye. And Mandy Moore, I mean... This bitch can do it all. As far as media that we would be into is concerned, she has really uh, done it all. So she currently has been a regular on This Is Us since like 2018 or something like that. That's sort of like what she's known for most now. But when we were younger, she had been, well, she played the role of Jamie in A Walk to Remember. She also played Anna Foster in Chasing Liberty, which I have not seen that movie, but I saw the poster for it and I was like, that looks like a sleepover cinema movie. So we should look into whatever that is. I also have never seen A Walk to Remember. Have you seen A Walk to Remember? Mm-mm. <laughs> that's a movie that's a sleepover cinema movie for sure. Um, yeah. So we got to add that to the letterbox. Um, and she also was Rapunzel Entangled, and she was also in Tron Uprising, which I guess was a TV show. Hannah, <laughs> uh, you forgot to write Princess Diaries. Oh, wait, shit. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Massive oversight. That was going to be the first thing that I wrote, but then I didn't. She was uh, Lana in Princess Diaries and she's such a bitch and it's amazing. That's how we were introduced to her was Princess Diaries for sure. Yeah. What I love about her is that clearly her agent really, really had her singing career in mind (laughs) for every movie she's in. Like they somehow, there's always a way for her to be singing in like everything. She also was like a pop girl before she was an actor. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense. It kind of reminds me of like how they always make that shit happen with like Zoe Deschanel, but like way less annoying. Mm -hmm. Just because I have beef. But anyway, so next up we have literally Macaulay Culkin as Roland. Uh, This casting, when I started watching the movie, I was like, no fucking way this is Macaulay Culkin, but it was. Um, Obviously, this man is known for Home Alone, 1990s Home Alone, My Girl, The Good Son. These are all like stuff from when he was a little kid. Um, And now he's on American Horror Story, which I did not know, but he is. And you know what? Oh, it does. Yeah. It makes sense to me because he is creepy looking. So he probably does very well <laughs> on that show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know enough about him to really whatever. Uh, and then I was thinking about it and I was like, wait, if Home Alone came out in 1990 and he was doing Saved in 2004, how old was he during Saved? He was 24 when you filmed Saved. And not only was he 24, but My he also age. That's crazy. He was your age. And he was just playing the most like out of pocket role that he possibly could yeah. have been put in, which we will definitely talk about. Um, but you got Macaulay Culkin, which I'm sure that that was like a big like, like, oh, yeah, like we got Macaulay Culkin. Like, I'm sure that was like a major person to land. So good for them. Um, next up, we have Patrick Fugit <laughs> as Patrick playing 
He's literally playing the character named Patrick. Uh, he was, th- I'm pretty sure, like the main younger guy in Almost Famous. He was in We Bought a Zoo, which whenever that movie comes up, I have to put it in because I think it's such a bad name. Um, and he had like, he was one of the police officers in Gone Girl. So I'm guessing that's like a less substantial role, but he was in Gone Girl. Um, and he's also been working pretty consistently this whole time. So good for him. And next we have... Heather Matarazzo mm. as Tia, one of my favorite people to see on screen ever. In my mind, ranked at a similar level to Jennifer Coolidge in just pure yeah. enjoyableness to see. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, and I'm behind on my viewing with both of them, honestly. There's a lot that I have to see with both of them in it. You are. I know. But I've been thinking a lot about the White Lotus thing. And I also, this is really controversial, but I haven't seen Welcome to the Dollhouse. And I know that I'll love it. Yeah. Also, it's like, it's like quintessential NYU pretentious film film viewing. Um, I mean, this whole show is just me fighting that concept. So, but I really, really want to see it. I know, but it's actually good. I know. I mean, if Yara loves it, it's good. That is my stance. Yara Zaid yeah. has that whole video about it, and she loves yeah. it. So, also, you briefly mentioned White Lotus. Um, to all of our listeners, HBO White Lotus. It has Jennifer Coolidge in it, and <laughs> in this show, she goes on a date with John Grease. I think that's how you say yeah. his name, John Grease who plays Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. And he has aged a lot since then, obviously. But, and I didn't even, I didn't even know what his name was because I didn't even relate the fact that John Grease <laughs> and Uncle Rico are the same person. Yeah, yeah. But I was, I was looking in his eyes on screen and I was like, I know him. I just, I know that I know him. And I thought of it without looking it up and I was really proud of myself. So and on top of that, this genius casting, um, the show is great. And it's written by Mike White, who wrote School of Rock. And, and Nacho Libre. He created it. And so it's amazing. So yeah, that's the plug. I gotta, I gotta get on that shit like ASAP. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to Heather Matarazzo. She, the other things that she's known for being in, uh, Welcome to the All House, obviously. Hostel Part 2, 54. Obviously, The Princess Diaries. This is the second movie that she has co-starred with Mandy Moore in uh, because Princess Diaries. And she was also in The L Word, which I just find to be extremely satisfying because she's the biggest lesbian I've ever seen in my life. And she was also in Now and Again. So, so happy to see Heather in this movie. She's so funny. Uh, we'll, We'll talk more about her once we get into it. Two more people in the cast here. Martin Donovan as Pastor Skip. He was Martin Howard in Big Little Lies. Uh, He was in Inherent Vice. He was in Weeds, of course. Uh, He was in Tenet. I don't know what that is. And You don't know what Tenet is? No, I have literally no idea. What? (laughs) What is it? It's the the huge like Christopher Nolan film that came out at the beginning of COVID and it was like the only movie in theaters for like a whole year. So like yes. everyone on the planet like saw Tenet. Like if you were going to go to a theater, it had to be Tenet. Oh my God. <laughs> I had literally no idea. Yeah. 
Uh, there's a fact. And then last but not least, I skipped a couple people in this list because there's just so many and so much to say, but we have Mary Louise Parker as Lillian and she's uh, Nancy Botwin in Weeds. She's the main person in Weeds. She was in Red and Red 2. Say it with me, people. I have no idea what that is. She was in The West Wing. She was in The Spiderwick Chronicles, which I thought was vaguely applicable, so I put it here. And she was also in The Angels in America, HBO adaptation. Hannah, maybe I should be the one who does. I think you should be the one who does it. Do you know what those are? Like... Have I seen everything? No. But have I heard of everything? Yes. Like, I literally don't know what it is. I just... You need to cut me off more. Like, please. And when I'm just sitting here being like, I don't know when it is, feel free to just clock the fuck in and be like, hi, I actually watch movies and I'm here to set the record straight. Because that's not me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> One little just fact about this casting is that allegedly... According to the IMDb trivia, which is basically the equivalent of bathroom wall graffiti, this is what I uh, read. The role of Hillary Fay was originally given to Anne Hathaway, but funding fell through and Hathaway was due to start Ella Enchanted filming. This led to Hathaway being replaced by Mandy Moore, which once again, it's so classic. It's that Princess Diaries, like that post-Princess Diaries stew of like the, that same... Uh, little gaggle of gals that were in the scene at the time. So I just enjoyed thinking about that role as an Anne Hathaway role. It would have been pretty good. Yeah, I don't... I I actually think Mandy's better. I actually think Mandy is better for it. Um, I think Anne would have been great because she's good in everything she does, pretty much. But, like, Mandy brings something to it. Um, yeah, she's very I, good. It would just be different. It would be a very different type of character. Yes, that is true. Okay, so want to run us through these numbers? Yeah. So the budget was $5 million. That's small, relatively. That's a small indie type of budget. Um, the box office opening weekend made 345136 That... I mean, that also adds up. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. But the overall worldwide gross is ten million two hundred seventy-five thousand five hundred nine, which is amazing and way better than they. I'm sure they ever could have hoped for. They Definitely. doubled their budget. Um, and then we've got a sixty-one percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, and the critic consensus is. A satirical teen comedy that unfortunately pulls its punches. Can I chime in for one second here? Yeah. I have lived 26 years of life on this earth without fully understanding what that phrase means, pulling punches. And I finally looked it up today and now I actually get it. I got like the gist, but I wasn't actually sure. And now I understand what it is. Do you know what that phrase means? I mean... (gasps) No, I guess not. <laughs> okay, so what it means is, like, doesn't hit as hard as it could. Like, it obviously could hit harder, but it's not hitting harder. Mm. So when people well, are like... you know why we don't know? Why? Because we don't watch... Because it's probably, like, it's probably, like, a boxing no, or, like, a it fighting literally reference. Is. It is a boxing reference. Yeah. It's, like, when you're... It's, like, you're pulling back, like, faster than yeah. you need to. 
And so whenever you hear people being like, that girl pulls no punches, it's like, that girl's going to give it to you straight or whatever. Yeah. So learned that today. But anyway, so I picked two little critic blurbs here that sort of described efficiently how it pulls its punches, how the movie pulls its punches. Um, And just these two ones, one of them was, it's a shame that the closing moral about a more pragmatic, inclusive approach to spirituality is conveyed with such a heavy hand. And then, Saved starts out as a feisty satire on organized religion, but sputters in its third act to an apologetic footnote on my epic ass for all that has come before. So it's basically just like, Never mind, religion's potentially fine. Um, yeah. And then what did, what's this audience score? <laughs> the audience score is 78%. Um, seems as though we don't have any audience opinions. Okay. And we don't have any audience opinions because basically everyone said the exact same thing that the critics did, which was like, okay, yeah, like this was fun, but like it could have gone... It could have done so much more in what it said about religion and it kind of just like copped out of it. So that was sort of the takeaway. But um, do you want to talk about these gossip nuggets, Audrey? And I'll talk about religion in 2004. If you you move the mic around, your voice is going to sound like it's like panning. I'm not going like this. I'm just doing a slight wiggle. Okay, well, they're gonna, if you can tell the difference. Sorry, I'm having fun with my podcast today. Um, anyway, (laughs) we'll talk about the gossip. Wait, also, are you enjoying my crispy Wi Fi? Yeah. Honestly, your home Wi Fi isn't really much different. Also, I moved. This is not the comment I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear, yes, I am loving your crispy Wi Fi. And. I'm in a new Wi-Fi area and you're in a new Wi-Fi area. So I didn't really know where it was coming from. Well, our connection is way better than it often is. So good yeah. for us. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, gossip. So JLo and Ben Affleck, Affleck, <laughs> Ben Affleck um, <laughs> broke up, which obviously everybody's been... That's been on on the public's consciousness mm-hmm. lately because mm-hmm. they got back together. Um, Janet Jackson had her wardrobe malfunction. Um, Passion of the Christ and Mean Girls came out. Yes. Um, Ashley Simpson had her Saturday Night Live issues malfunctions. Fiasco, um, if desperate, you will. <laughs> yeah. Desperate Housewives started, I guess. Yes. Is that what it is? Yes. And then Jennifer Aniston existed. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer Aniston was like the hottest celebrity of 2004. And as I've said many times, this was in the middle of my deepest collaging of People Magazine era. So I remember all of these blurbs very clearly. Um, And then Mm -hmm. I also just wanted to say like a little bit on the religious scene at the time or like what sort of like the American Christianity situation was when this movie came out. So it's 2004. George W. Bush just got reelected. The evangelicals are on the rise. It's post 9-11. It's the war on terror. It's all that shit. It's very like American idiot comes out. Everyone's like, fuck Bush. Like Jesus is a lie. Like, like very that. Um, 
But I feel like even in my mind, like when I think about, because like 2004, I was like fourth grade, fifth grade. But I remember it being very much like if you were a Christian or if you were religious, it was very um, uncool. Like it was very much like Republican. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which like, I don't feel that way anymore because I feel like things have changed in terms of like, like I know lots of like reasonable people that are religious, um, but especially back then it was very... Um, much associated with W. So, LOL. So that's something to keep in mind as we go into this movie and think about the climate that it came out in. Um, But in terms of other things we remember from childhood, when the first time or last time we watched it was, uh, Audrey, what are your thoughts? Um, This was, to my memory and knowledge, I have never seen it until yesterday. Yes. So, so, yeah, my associations with this and I got to pick the movie this week because Audrey was too busy moving for us to have discourse on it. So I just picked this from the list. So whoever suggested this, thank you. Um, but I remember so we had like a gaggle of neighbor girls that we were friends with when we were growing up. Um, and it was like all of our backyards connected. And Audrey and I were like right in the well Audrey was the youngest girl but I was very much like in the middle slash like the slightly younger cluster of uh kids and there was the oldest girl who was especially as a kid very weird like very very um like star girl in real life like that kind of vibe she was like five years older than me six years older than me and I thought she was the coolest person ever and she wrote all these stories about like monsters and then like would write songs about them and like sing them acapella to us I mean she was like a like a very like probably creepy child to interact with like a creepy teenager (laughs) if you were like an adult but we I thought she was the coolest person ever and one day we were over at her house she treated me like a baby, so yeah. I love I loved being babied when I was She did. Stuff. Audrey was baby, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but I remember we were at their house one time and you know the shot in the movie where uh Mary's like on the lawn and she looks up at the cross and she's like shit and then she's like fuck and then she's like god damn like that part. I remember <laughs> seeing specifically that scene and I was like I want more. This is, this is messy. This is drama. But I'm pretty sure that Annie's mom was like, turn that shit off uh, because they were a Christian family. So Annie probably like subversively was playing that, or I said her name. If she hears this, I mean, it's fine. Uh, She was probably like subversively playing it in her Catholic household. Um, but yeah. And then the reason why I brought up the Pride and Prejudice movie earlier was because like whenever, like I would rarely get to hang out with Annie alone, but it like really made a big impression on me. And that was one of the movies that I remember watching in her room, just the two of us. And she had like two twin beds in her room and she would stuff paperback books in her bed frame. It would be like in between the bed and the frame. It was like all these books and she had so much shit in there. And I thought she was like the coolest person ever. And, uh, I think she may have also been the first bisexual that I knew. So throw that in there as How well. How did you know that? How did you know that? I don't know, but I just have a <laughs> feeling in my soul. And I think she told me at one point. But When anyway, we were kids? I think so, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing because, like, that wasn't a thing when we were little kids. But oh, I'm, I wow. think that she told me, yeah. Wow. Literally, she's a legend. Legend status. That's impressive. I know. <laughs> I know. I thought she was the coolest person ever. But anyway, 
So I dedicate this episode to Annie. If she hears this, know that I thought of you the whole time I watched this. Um, And great news for everyone at home. This movie is available for free streaming on Amazon Prime. So go fire it up. Give it a watch. There is so much in this movie. Um, Our first half was already long, so I don't even know what's going to happen in the second half. Um, But please enjoy the movie. And we will be right back. This mic has me hopped up on life. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. We are back, and it is time to discuss 2004's camp classic, question mark, Saved. Um, I would just like to get one thing out of the way immediately, which is the opening cover that I'm pretty sure it's Mandy Moore. Yeah, it is. God Only Knows by the Beach Boys is so bad (laughs) it's such a bad cover it's so soulless and like I come from a very well I currently am living in a very intense Beach Boys purist household and when I heard that I was like oh my god this is soulless uh but I understood what they were trying to do it was like god you know god's in the name so I appreciate it for that um, also, like if you if you like bad. realize and take into account that it's her, it could be like her character's band. Like it probably is her character's band. What? I mean, it could be. <laughs> okay, that is no, because you like, don't ever see ca- them playing it. Do you mean no, to be no, bringing not- up? Is it diegetic or non-diegetic right now? I okay, no. I'm saying I'm saying <laughs> it could be. Because, like, the fact that it's not very good is what I mean. Like, I don't know. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, it's, like, intentionally cheesy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I could see that happening. Especially because a a gay man wrote and directed this movie, and I don't think he would let it be corny accidentally. Yeah, like, I think... And I really... I actually really liked the title sequence. I thought it was... I thought it was very now. <laughs> like like somebody now. somebody would make that right now. Yes. What is that from? Um, of the now. It, well, there's some line that came into my head too, but I can't remember what it's from, but it's like Is it from Mary very hit, Very hit, very now, very cutting. Edge. Oh, 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 it's Billboard Dad. It's Billboard yeah. Dad. It's Billboard Dad. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's Nigel with his knockoffs. Yeah. yeah. Very cutting edge. Oh, fuck, I can't wait to do that movie. I've brought that movie up so many times. That's going to be one that we can really go hard on. That one will yeah. be awesome. Okay. Please let us know if you're excited for the billboard. That episode, I know I am. Okay. Um, I also just had two general notes, which were that the influence of Heather's is literally like tangible and like you can taste it. Like the the outcasts being like literally physically disabled, the weird pipe bomb jokes, everyone seeming kind of gay. <laughs> like yeah. it's very Heathersy. It's very Heathersy. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing. Um, and also like you know the whole like it's like it's like the same questions sort of at the core in some ways, uh, which yeah. I thought was interesting. And I also in general, and I'm sure we'll come back to that point. Um, but Jenna Malone reminded me of Kristen Stewart a little bit. Did you get that? Mm -hmm. I could see that. Yeah. So those were my just things I wanted to get out of the way. First of all. Um, and I just want to say too, like in general, and I'm sure what's going to keep coming up again and again is that like, this movie is like a hybrid conglomeration of like every teen movie ever. Yes. So we can talk about that more later, but I'm sure that's going to keep coming up because I yes. ke- as as it was playing, I kept thinking of more movies. I was like, let me just write this list of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I felt the same way. Um, do you want to say your general good things? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I had no idea Heather Matarazzo was in this. So when her <laughs> name came up, on the in the title <laughs> sequence I was like oh, I was like this is the best um I literally just wrote this is psycho I love it <laughs> I don't know what I was referring to but it was near the beginning um when there when Dean and what's her name the main Mary. girl yeah, Mary. when Dean and Mary are in the pool and he, and then the <laughs> lifeguard who's like fake Jesus jumps in. I was like, this is like an aquamarine lifeguard moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Mandy Moore shooting a gun is like everything yes. I ever yeah. wanted to see. I, I wrote down, I'm saving myself until marriage and I'll use force if necessary. Because that seems yeah. so good. Um, and that was I, a very Heather's line. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like it was it was reminding me so much of Lady Bird in some ways. And I was wondering if like Greta Gerwig got any form of inspiration from Saved because Saved actually takes place present day at the time. But she right. chose to set Lady Bird in... Um, early 2000s and then it's Catholic school so like right. or Christian whatever it is but yeah it's Protestant technically yeah 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 um so but uh what's the what's the like guy that Mary is interested in like do you remember what his name is Patrick is yeah Patrick yeah um Patrick and Mary give me Lady Bird and Kyle vibes. That's yes. That's what yes. they gave me. I can see that. Um, the performance <laughs> was so funny. Um, but I actually just didn't see it coming at all. And I didn't know why they were a band or like anything. But I was like, oh, I guess this friend group is a band like. 
I don't know. That came yeah. out of nowhere. Um, I appreciated it though. Also, the angel costumes I loved, Very and I liked of that time. Yeah, and I liked how um, Heather's character became more relevant throughout the movie instead yes. of less relevant. Um, loved that there was a shopping montage. <laughs> and I think that Roland and Cassandra are a really cute couple. Yes, yes. Like, actually. I agree. And that, those are my good I things. I bought it. I bought it yeah. 100%. Yeah. Okay. My good things, they're they're pretty specific as my good things tend to be. The website, the gay website that they yeah. go to. <laughs> like that just was so funny to me. I forget even how she gets there. But she literally just types in gay and then enter. <laughs> right, 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 right. So gay.com really got me. Yeah. Um, I love... I love the fact that they like semi unnecessarily shoehorn in a click by being like the Christian jewels and like yeah. with the pins and everything. I was like, that's kind of fierce. Um, I loved Cassandra. She reminded me so much of people that I know in real life. Um, I love that she was Jewish and I appreciated that it wasn't like, like there were never anti-Semitic jokes really Mm -mm. like it was just like she happened to be Jewish and they all wanted to save her um like you know as they want to do um but it was never like it I don't know I I thought that was tasteful which is obviously the opposite of what happened with the Roland situation kind of especially in the beginning I thought the score was really cool like the thing like that humming motif mm-hmm. that kept coming back in and it reminded me a lot of Mean Girls I think isn't there something similar to that in Mean Girls yeah well Mean Girls has all the um the like African uh kind of tribal sounding right score so there is right. some of that and there's another movie that does something kind of similar, but I thought that was really cool. I don't know if I should say this, but the amount of joy I got from hearing Heather Matarazzo say, sorry to hear about Dean's faggotry was really (laughs) through the roof. That was just, so just everything about that line, the fact that it was her saying it, just beautiful. And I thought that um, I really, even though I'm not sure if it was that earned, to be totally honest, I really liked how at the end, it's like, I'm, when she's in the ambulance, when Mary's in the ambulance and she, he's like, I'm the father. And the other guy's mm-hmm. like, I'm the boyfriend. And then she's like, oh, I'm her mom. And then she's like, you didn't ruin my life. I was like, why is this like, have me in my feelings? Well, the, yes, but that's also the moment where the film starts to pull its punches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it actually starts to pull its punches before that, but that's the moment where it's like, oh, they're really gonna go for a different message than yeah. you think. Yeah. But it was cute. And then the last good thing or thing that I just really appreciated was uh, <laughs> when she has the baby and the mom comes in just with like the most egregiously camera facing diet Coke you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) I'm like, Oh yeah, just had, just gave birth. You know what I want is a diet Coke. And like, honestly, either of us could, could be that person eventually. No, that's gonna, (laughs) that's me a hundred percent. But yes, that wasn't even the only time there's other shots too. I know there's a lot of diet Coke 
product placement. Yeah. Which is very 2004. Which, like, a dream. Like, I want that. <laughs> yeah. Like, please. Like, if I could just have, like, a random person walking around just, like, with some spare diet coats with straws in them at all times, like, that would be ideal. I totally agree with you. Um, okay. As for bad things, what do you have? So the first thing I thought, this was like really close to the beginning when they're really heavy handed with the voiceover from Mary. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh, I kind of wish this didn't have voiceover because I just felt like it was it was controlling my experience too much. Like sometimes I sometimes I don't like it when the main character is doing voiceover um, so much. Yeah, and it almost never lasts also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then by the end of the movie, I kind of took that note back because a lot happens really fast. And Mm -hmm. so I can understand why you would want that as like a device to help people stay up with what's happening. Yeah. Um, So I guess this kind of really verges into dated and or problematic, but I put it in worse and that is the entire concept and plot line of like Mandy Moore's characters outside used to match her inside like they were equating her oh physical looks with I forgot her about personality that. Yeah. and I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it also makes no sense because they're like trying to say a lot in the movie that like beauty isn't skin deep and like people are more than what they appear but then there's that yeah no and I was that's why I was so jarred by it I was like there's a lot of good stuff and like good good kind of lessons and things they've tucked into this and then randomly you have Roland and Cassandra being like she used to be overweight and she used to have braces and she used to have bad hair and therefore her her exterior used to match her ugly interior right (laughs) right and that also is very uh it's like the same beat as like when they make Regina get fat in Mean Girls or like it's the same sort of thing like yeah like uh I just can't imagine that Cassandra and Roland would be like let's be shallow now like you know like isn't that the whole point that they're not that way yeah and um revenge yeah just like revenge by uh like shaming somebody's looks is like very evil like I I, yeah I didn't I did not vibe with that it didn't it didn't hit me in a good way I thought it was interesting and this is also kind of verging into problematic or dated like As I was watching and I was kind of tracking the development of Mary and Patrick's thing, Mary, like, never, ever outright said that she actually liked him. Yeah, not at all. And, like, he basically just insisted over and over again. And then everyone else was, like, and, like, everyone else was, like, in on it. But, like, she never was, like... I like this person, which like, I guess is sort of high schooly. Like that's a little bit how it is, but like, are we really going for like true to life experience here? Like not really. So that struck me as a little bit strange. Do you want to talk a little bit about the ending? Um, so yeah, I mean, we, at this point we kind of just have to go into dated and problematic, right? Yes. (laughs) 
Because, okay, first of all, I did not expect Mary to get pregnant in this movie. Mm -hmm. I did not think she was going to get pregnant, or at least if she had the scare, she wasn't going to be pregnant. Mm-hmm. And even if she did get pregnant, I didn't think she was going to have the baby. Because yeah. wouldn't, I, as somebody who is kind of going through this realization or, like, awakening of, like, what their true beliefs are, or, or like, kind of becoming dissociated from the church through this experience, like, I think it would have just been a lot more effective, like, plot-wise, mm-hmm. If she didn't have the baby. Yeah. Um, and and for that to be okay, you know? Right. And and it's not, like, amazing for her, obviously. But it's funny because we, like, just talked about this stuff with I know Juno. what to say. But um, <laughs> I just, I didn't. But you, you look at all of these boundaries that they're trying to push in 2004. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like. And this is three years before Juno. So they're already trying to accomplish a lot of things socially here and like boundary pushing. So I get why they shied away from she's going to get an abortion. But like, I just, I don't know. And then, and then you hear this is the part that confused me the most. When (laughs) Dean shows up with his like boyfriend from the, um, What's it the called? Re, like the rehab. Mercy um, home? Mercy house. Yeah. Mercy house. Yeah. Yeah. When he shows up with his like boyfriend and they just broke out of like gay rehab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and he finds her at the dance and she's like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, yay? <laughs> it's like, yeah. What? He was like, oh, that's awesome. I was like, no, I don't think first of all like he, he is a gay man and they aren't dating and they he are te- a gay man and they are teenagers like i just don't really see how that would be his reaction ever and just like nobody has a issue with her being pregnant like the stigma is just like not there right also the fact also the fact that they're like we're going to make it so no one can tell that you're pregnant. And then we're, and then like no one does notice she's pregnant somehow, but she's like literally like eight months pregnant. I was yeah. like, I don't buy that like at all. The whole plot device of like, this is where it started to lose me too, is when Roland and Cassandra came up with the plan of like the receipt or whatever it was. Yeah. It, it, it started to get really convoluted and, and I forgot why they were doing what they were doing. Right. Honestly, the ending flew off the rails so hard in general that I was like struggling to even comprehend what was going on. Like once Mandy Moore was outside, it was like anyone's game. Like once she was in the car and like driving around, I was like, what the fuck am I (laughs) I doing? This is just not, and it goes so much further out than I thought it would. Like time wise. Yes. I was like, uh, I don't know that that was the right call for this. I, oh. did, I, de- I certainly didn't need to see her have the baby, like, at all. Yes. Also, just going back for one second to the, uh, to the Mandy Moore driving into the Jesus sign thing. Um, so apparently, according to Sandy Stern, who's one of the producers, the film had gone through, like, a bazillion rewrites, and the original script 
unsurprisingly, considering the Heather's influence, originally consisted of Hillary Fay shooting up the school. Yeah. Which, this was post-Columbine, and this man was just writing this shit. So, uh... At least it wasn't that. Imagine the tone shift there. It would be so jarring and confusing. It would have to be like so campy. Like the whole thing would have to be so campy or like so dark that it would have to make sense. Like it would be a totally different movie if that happened. Yeah. And it also just doesn't add up. Like it, it, it wouldn't add up. I'm glad they changed it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so, oh, there's also one other random fun fact I wanted to throw in here. There's two. Is it okay if we take a fun a fun a fun fact moment? Yeah. Okay. You don't seem excited about the fun fact. <laughs> I'm like, they're short. They're okay. short. I swear okay. to God, they're worth it. Because one of them has to do with you. So Audrey and I have been begging for well, Audrey's mostly been doing it, but I've been doing it slightly. As you know, the trailer for Audrey's documentary has now been released. And uh recently we've been having to do a lot of music rights uh begging for shit. And there was this fun fact that I found, which uh, apparently they really wanted to use part of Jesus Christ Superstar, like the title song in this movie, and they couldn't get it. They kept getting denied, kept getting denied. But then finally, a friend gave them the phone number, the personal phone number of Tim Rice, who was the composer. And after he saw and loved the movie, he agreed to grant them the rights to use the song. So if only we could do that with the people that we're vying for. Um, Yeah. And then the other thing was that unsurprisingly considering everything that this movie is similar to this movie was worked into a stage musical at one time in New York and it had like an adaptation there and I was delighted and surprised to discover that the book and lyrics were written by John Dempsey and Rena Groff and Rena Groff was my playwriting professor at NYU hey so there's a tie um hello Rena so anyway (laughs) <laughs> Let's go into the problematic, shall we? Yeah, I mean, we are kind of already there. Yeah. So, obviously, they rip, like, four R words in the first five minutes. And yeah. it's kind of the only time they say it, which is very interesting. To me, it kind of makes me feel like that is, like, what what uh like what remained from the edgy version of the script like Mm -hmm. that and like the pipe bomb at Planned Parenthood joke and like a couple of like the more like edgy if you will jokes from 2004 also the same thing with them saying that if Macaulay Culkin had been born in China he would have been killed at birth but then you find out that he wasn't even disabled at birth and that he fell out of a tree yeah All of that stuff is very messy, but (laughs) I feel like in the context of the time, you can see that they thought it was edgy. It's like very much one of those situations where like Macaulay Culkin was supposed to be like the badass guy who uses a wheelchair, but he's like hot in his own way. But it's just... Okay, you know what? Go ahead. Like, you know what else I'm realizing? What are you realizing? Is like... Teenagers are that dumb. Like, they are that ignorant. They do say stuff that is blatantly, like, ignorant and or racist and or ableist all the time. And so it can be... It can be realistic. Like, because sometimes... Sometimes I think we get so caught up in, like, what is it... um, Kind of, like, is it useful to see... Like, to mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, like, what is the intention, kind of? 
Mm-hmm. And this one is a hard one because it is simultaneously self-aware, but it now we're sitting here in 2021 and I don't know to what degree they can be self-aware at that point in time. Right, right. So it's a little confusing <laughs> yeah, to decide little- that. And it's also doubly confusing because even though they are constantly like treating his using a wheelchair as a punchline, he's still really cool. Yeah. You know? So it's like representation wise, like if we're buying the fictional character of Roland or whatever, it would be maybe cool. Like if you were someone who used a wheelchair, especially if you were a guy like in 2004, like in high school, But I don't know. We are really not qualified to speak on that in any way. I wasn't even referring to his character. I was referring to, like, the the slurs and the way they talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, him as a character and the choice to do it the way they did, I don't know that that's entirely redeemable at any time. (laughs) But... I mean, that was really what people did back then, though. I know. I mean, even more recently, people still do that. Um, Yeah. They still do. Like, you know, you've got Archie and Glee. There's quite a few examples. Yeah. I mean, there's like such a legacy. There's like a huge history of that. Like even like Forrest Gump and shit. Like Mm -hmm. what's eating Gilbert Grape with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, even like last year, which we all know the dumpster fire, but um, Sia's film called Music. Right. Uh, that was that's another huge example from literally last year. So, yep. Yikes. So that's kind of something interesting to think about. Um, and obviously, there's also like a lot of allusions to Hillary Fay being a white supremacist, like her being like, "How savage were the countries you went to?" Like shit like that. That's very like Christianity will uh, like bring order and civilization to these like countries and all that shit. So that was noted by me. Yeah. Um, But again, and this, of course, it's not defending what's being said, but it is something that is said in the country in, you know, it's like, it's not unrealistic that somebody would say something as God awful as that. And it's also, I feel like another reason why it's hard for us to really be like, this is fucked is because it is supposed to be satire, at least in the beginning. So it's like, wait, exactly what you were saying. Is it self-aware or is it not self-aware? Like, because by the end they're like, and we're all a big happy family in our somewhat agnostic faith. Like, it's just, it's uh, confusing in that way. Yeah, so. because, yeah, they're coming in, they're swinging, they're swinging wide and hard in the beginning and they're like, we're yes. we're saying this, we're saying this, we're saying this, and they're like, actually, we're not saying this. We're just right. gonna leave it ambiguous so people won't be mad at us, basically. Right, exactly. So, I guess that could lead us kind of nicely to do we think it's a good movie and do we think it's worth watching? I feel like had we seen it when we were younger, we would have a different opinion probably. Is it good? It's entertaining. Is it really that mentally stimulating though? No. No, I I think, I think because of what we were just talking about, it kind of fails as a satire. Like it's, it's not a true satire, like through, through and through. Yeah. 
but I, you can tell that that was like the intention. And I am curious, since we know there was a ton of rewrites, I'm guessing that the final script is not what the director would have preferred. Yeah, Um, probably not. But when you're getting money from people who want to see certain things, sometimes you have to do stuff you don't want to do. Right. And there was, um, so of course, with a movie like this, I had to look up what Roger Ebert had to say about it. And I just want to wrap up with this excerpt from his review because I feel like it does a really good job of explaining what kind of went wrong. Even though he gave it a three and a half out of four stars. So that's pretty good. He doesn't actually say what went wrong, but just go with me here. This is what he says. Saved is an important film as well as an entertaining one. At a time where the FCC is enforcing a censorious morality on a nation where 8.5 million listeners a day are manifestly not offended by Howard Stern, here is a movie with a political message. Jesus counseled more acceptance and tolerance than some of his followers think. By the end of the movie, mainstream Christian values have not been overthrown, but demonstrated and embraced. Those who think Christianity is just a matter of enforcing their rule book have been, well, enlightened. And that all of this takes place in a sassy and smart teenage comedy is, well, a miracle. Oh, and some of the actors are allowed to have pimples. <laughs> so Mr. Ebert was kind of into this Jesus thing. Yeah, he was like, like tickled by this. He was a little tickled. Um, I think the thing that stood out to me the most, though, was like talking about the FCC and censoring stuff. And then like Howard Stern also happening at the same time. Like, I feel like this era, again, was sort of like family guy was really compelling like south park like kind of edgy comedy type shit and i remember like eminem would rap about the fcc not letting him be do you remember yeah. that the fcc like, won't, let, won't me let, me let me be <laughs> we, we had a mixed cd of eminem in the car in high school that yeah. i made um we had a lot I of don't. like problematic <laughs> white artists in the car back in the day <laughs> and for that we shall repent but anyway <laughs> So I thought that was an interesting note to end on. Um, would I recommend watching it? If you're bored, Kinda. why not? Yeah. Why not? If you like Mandy Moore, Heather Matarazzo. I mean, we've got two key Princess Diaries cast members here. Yes. Great cast. Um, obviously, it's extremely white, but that adds up. Yes. Um, and it's also not as environment. gay. It's not as gay as we would want it. But there are some gay things in it. Yeah, and there is lots of things to chuckle at. So, yes, if you want a good giggle, yeah, go for <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, and if you watched it as a kid, you should definitely rewatch it now because I feel like you would have an interesting perspective. So let us yeah. know if you give it a rewatch, if you were a fan of it when you were younger. We would love to know your thoughts. So um, thank you for recommending this movie, whoever told us to do it. And we will be back, as always, next week with a new episode. But it's looking to be about that time. Did you go sign up for trivia yet? <laughs> we'll pause. You know, the the podcast can run in the background while you go sign up. It doesn't it doesn't stop the flow. It's not like YouTube or whatever. I sound like an old person. Like what am I saying? Stop <laughs> I the don't flow. Know. Like hello. <laughs> um Okay, anyway. Audrey, pleasure working with you as always. Good discussion. Indeed. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.
You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search sleepover cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at twopingpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema and that's really where the party is at. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon. Bye. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.